Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 268. I got a sty in my eye with like a little thing in your tear duct. It's really frustrating. Can't get it out, really bothering me. Um, I've been awake for literally over 24 hours. I have not slept yet last from last night. Um, I watched 16 hours in a row of basketball. So many games. I've got so much to say. Uh, I do want to say, too, I think the best, I don't know if the best, my personal favorite topic in this episode is at the very end, the very last topic is about TJ Watt and answering the question, do I owe TJ Watt an apology and having a lot of fun with it? Uh, I got a lot of hate. Oh, my goodness. People were very, very angry at me uh, about something I said regarding TJ Watt. We'll have, we'll have a lot of fun with that. Um, first, I want to start with this. I want to give a fair warning, actually. I am about to go on a somewhat passionate, hopefully not too mean-spirited, hopefully just uh, I, I want to lay a boundary a little bit, but I want to go on a rant and talk about something that I'm, I really deeply care about. That is not something, it's about sports. Obviously, that's what this show is about. Um, man, I'm asking people, please, stop with the comments telling me to stop covering basketball. Stop it. I don't, it's a boundary I'm going to lay down. This is not a football podcast. This is a sports podcast about sports. Not one sport-centric. It's about all the sports. Um, and I cover what I can. I cover what I care about. I cover what I'm interested in. I love basketball. I grew up playing basketball. I grew up watching basketball. And I love storytelling. Now, you listening or watching may not like my NBA content. And if you don't, I've got no problem with that. I I really don't mind. If you don't want to watch my NBA content, don't want to listen to my NBA content, go ahead and don't turn it off. Don't watch it. That's okay with me. Um, I'm working my butt off. I'm working really hard. Um, And I truly do believe that I'm getting better at covering the NBA. You know, those of you who are skeptical, I'm asking you, please don't give up on me. I really am working hard. I think I'm getting better at covering the sport. And I really honestly do believe that the full episode 268, this episode, is one of the best episodes I've ever made. It's mostly, it's 95% about the NBA. And if you're on YouTube watching this clip, it's a small part of a much bigger, much longer episode. Go find the full episode. I'm really, really proud I love basketball. I love talking about basketball. And I'm proud of the content I'm making. And at the end of the day, that is the most important thing to me is can I look in the mirror and ask myself, when I ask myself and look in the mirror, can I say, I love what I'm doing. I love the content I'm making and I'm proud of what I'm making. Those two things. I love what I'm making and I'm proud of it. That is so important to me. Uh, And I think that's really you know, I, I got to be able to live with myself. When I, if I can look in the mirror and say those two things, I can sleep at night. And I, I am proud of what I'm making. I think it's good, high-quality content. Uh, I think especially, again, maybe my LeBron take was ridiculous a, couple while, a little while ago. And I think we watched Clippers versus Lakers, the opening, the second game of the, ser- the season, the NBA restart, went, okay, wow. I, I really quickly adjusted and was like, look, it's pretty clear. I think the Clippers are better than the Lakers. And I don't know that the Lakers have an opportunity to beat the Clippers down the road. I think they're going to hit a roadblock. I say Clippers are going to win in six. Um, but I, again, I, I want to say, like, you do not have to agree with everything I say. This, this show is called Strong Opinion Sports. Like, strong opinion. You may not agree with my opinion. 
but I love sports. I, I, I don't think I'm condescending. I don't think I'm mean. I, I really love sports. I love talking about sports. It's my passion. And I, I hope you listen. I really do. I, I try to make an interesting and enjoyable show. Again, one I'm proud of. That's my goal is for people listening or watching to be like, you know what? Even if I don't agree, whether I agree or not, it was interesting what he talked about. And I had a good time. It was enjoyable. And again, I'm loving the NBA restart so much. I want to share some general notes about the NBA restart. Literally, I just got done watching four basketball games in a row. Back to back to back to back. Four games. Bam, bam, bam. Then I watched a bunch of another game. I I didn't finish it. It was actually region locked. It was really frustrating. I couldn't find the entire, uh, what was it, the, the Pacers 76ers game. I could only watch bits and pieces of because I had to like, go to different platforms and find parts of it. It was, like, ridiculous. Um, but I want to share some general thoughts. I mean, Doris Burke is an incredible, incredible broadcaster. Uh, she's insightful. She's informative. Her national broadcasts, to me, are so much better. I watched the local Portland Trailblazers game. I live in the Portland Trailblazers. I live in the Portland area. And, you know, the local guys in my area just talk. They do not teach the game of basketball. Doris Burke, oh, my gosh, does such a good job breaking down the game, explaining the game on the fly. She's phenomenal. Obviously, Stan Van Gundy does the same thing. He's great. Um, And nobody covers the NBA as well as TNT. I love watching the NBA on TNT. And a stupid little side note I love, you know, the the swish sound you hear when someone hits a jump shot. I love it. It's fun. And, you know, that happens literally because they have a mic. And I've seen people do this at college basketball games. There's a mic on the backboard picking up the sound of the the ball going through the net, the sound of the swish. It's so great. And that sound to me, when you hear a guy just drain a three, the sound is what I like. I It reminds me of watching a quarterback throw like a really tight, beautiful spiral. It's the same. It gives me that same feeling of, oh, that was awesome. And the NBA in particular as a league has so many compelling players and storylines and people and it's a star-driven league, and it's so well done. And if you compare the NBA to the MLB, Major League Baseball to the NBA right now, basketball is dominating baseball, in my opinion. Uh, the NBA is so much better. It's easier to follow. Games are more spread out. I get so sick of watching baseball. I honestly, to this day, I have no idea how I'm supposed to cover baseball. Am I supposed to go once a week, check in with what's going on? Because it seems like they're giving, you know, when you watch a baseball game, by the time I figure out what happened yesterday, today's game will have already ended. And I'm like, I don't even know how to cover this. It's it really it's tiring and frustrating. And I like that the NBA gives you a day in between to catch up and understand what's going on. Um, and look, man, I just watched basketball all day Saturday night. I slept. I got up Sunday morning. What did I, or what is it? What is it? Uh, so sat Friday night. I watched basketball night Friday night. Got up on Saturday morning, watched basketball all day Saturday yesterday. Then I didn't go to sleep. I watched basketball all night Saturday night. Sunday morning, kept watching into Sunday morning. Hours and hours and hours. And I, I'm working hard trying to get better at covering the NBA. I love the NBA. I love basketball. And I, I really stand by the content you're about to hear in this episode. It's phenomenal. It's, it's, I'm really proud of it. Episode 268 is the best episode I've done in a long time. And it takes a long time to put this stuff together. And unlike most people, I've really decided to, if I'm going to talk about a game in the NBA, I am going to watch every single moment of that game. 
you know, I, I don't think very many broadcasters out there sit down and watch four basketball games in one day. And they just, they don't do that. They watch highlights, they look at a stat line and share their opinion, just rattling off some stuff. No, I watch the moments. I really pay attention. Um, and I just think I'm watching more basketball right now than many other sports broadcasters. I hope it pays off. I hope that people give me a chance to grow and keep making better content. If you've really listened to this entire rant and me sharing my love of basketball, um, I, I hope you give me a chance because I, I really am uh, proud of what I'm doing. Now, real quick, I wanna, I'm going to introduce a new acronym in this episode. It's an acronym that I created. It's stupid. It's fun. It's nerdy. It's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to use this acronym to title videos on YouTube and to you know, t- title topics a lot of the time because uh, saying what we learned from a game is just too long. So I'm going to shorten that to WWLF. It stands for some my own made-up thing. What we learned from blank. So an example of that would be uh, WWF. WWLF Rockets versus Mavericks. It would mean what we learned from the Rockets versus the Mavericks game. It's silly. It's nerdy. I think it's going to be really important as I cover the NBA to have that acronym to shorten things down and explain, you know what you're getting into with an episode. If the titles are too long, you can't even read it on YouTube. You're like, I don't even know what's going on. And I just don't, I, I want to shorten the term. So for me, WWLF, a silly acronym I came up with means what we learned from blank. Now, I want to jump in. So, the Houston Rockets are totally unique in the NBA because they really don't play with a center at all. They call it small ball. Uh, you know, on Friday night, the Rockets only put eight dudes in the game, period, the entire night. They literally had a three-man bench, and the tallest guy that the Rockets put on the court against the, uh, the Dallas Mavericks was six foot eight. They did not have a guy over seven feet, no center, and that's what they do. That's what the Rockets are known for. And the average court, the average height on the court for the Rockets in that game was the average was just above six foot five. And because the Rockets play their small size and the fact that they have so many guards on the court at one point, the Rockets spread out along the perimeter on offense. And it creates a ton of isolation opportunities. It really makes it easier for guys like James Harden and Russell Westbrook to get into one-on-one situations. You know, on small ball, they spread out along the perimeter, and the spacing gives guys like James Harden isolation all the time. And if you play help defense, okay, let's say James Harden takes advantage of isolation, he drives to the bucket, and you play help defense. You leave your man to go help guard James Harden driving in the lane. It leaves a guy wide open for three. And so really what it does is make it so the defense cannot win. Whatever the defense does, it's wrong. And it's unique. Only the Rockets do it. It's really fun to watch. And in a one-on-one situation with James Harden, so often he'll blow right past people for an easy bucket inside. And the same thing goes for Russell Westbrook. Both James Harden and Russell Westbrook work this way. It's really fun to watch. And another thing is that teams that play the Rockets often get into foul trouble because of the way James Harden is so good at drawing fouls. Sometimes the only way to stop James Harden is, in fact, to foul him. He's so good at contorting his body and finding a way to get the ball into the basket. If you foul him, that might be the only way you're going to stop him from scoring. And so because of that, James Harden pretty much always gets his team into the bonus, meaning that every foul, whether it's a shooting foul or not, becomes 
free uh, free throw attempts near the end of a game. And James scores so many points off of free throws. I mean, a great example of this was, in fact, Friday night where against Dallas, he had 49 points and 18 of the 49 points he scored on Friday were from free throws. James Harden had 39. Russell Westbrook had 31. And here's ultimately why the Rockets' small ball does, in fact, work. Not only do James Harden and Russell Westbrook score. No, the Rockets had seven guys with double digits on Friday. Now, I know the game went into overtime, but that's really only five extra minutes in the game. Um, Daniel House was hitting threes. He had six three-pointers, which is ridiculous. Ben McElmore had four, 13 total points, four three-pointers. And all three guys who came off the bench for the Rockets, Jeff Green, Ben McLemore, Austin Rivers, all three of those guys, the entire Rockets bench had double-digit scoring on Friday. And the Rockets also had all five starters with 40 minutes or more. Now, here's how the one way that small ball does, in fact, hurt the Rockets is on defense. Uh, So the Dallas Mavericks and the Houston Rockets played on Friday. And the Mavericks have Kristaps Porzingis, a guy who's 7'3". And he had 39 points against the Rockets, all 7'3 of him. And because the Rockets lack height, and because of Kristaps' size differential, I mean, the Rockets literally do not have anyone tall enough to contest Kristaps Porzingis' shots. They just don't have a guy who can do it. And he had 39 points, and yet the Rockets didn't even care. They're like, okay, so what? Because the reason, part of what makes the Rockets so unique is not only their perimeter, you know, their spacing and the small ball, but is that the Rockets' defense is their offense. They're like a college football team. It reminds me of Chip Kelly with the Oregon Ducks years ago where the Rockets are like, yeah, we can't stop you. So what we're going to do is we're just going to score more points than you can. It's absurd, and it, it often, more often than not, it works, which is ridiculous. I mean, this game, Dallas-Houston, it was a track meet. The score at halftime was 85-75. to 75. I mean, that's ridiculous. On June 8, 2005, was NBA Finals Game 1, where the Spurs beat the Pistons. Guess what the score was? So Friday at halftime, Dallas versus Houston, the score was 85-75 to 75 at halftime. In the NBA Finals Game 1 in 2005, the Spurs beat the Pistons 84-69. to 69. Yeah, there were more points scored at halftime in the game on Friday than there was in the NBA Finals Game 1 in 2005. That's ridiculous. The entire game versus one half. And that's, I I just, I mean, the Rockets-Mavs game was void of defense, just completely. And by the way, Russell Westbrook is a blast to watch. I really forgot how much I enjoy watching him. He's relentless, his effort, his intensity. Now, Dallas, I want to talk about Dallas because I... I need to mention Kristaps Porzingis. I want to talk about him. You know, the Latvian, right? He's seven foot three inches tall and a rare seven foot three shooter. A guy who, man, he just fascinates me because Kristaps does not move as well as a guy like Giannis, a guy who's six foot 11. And, you know, Giannis is a freak the way he can move and his athletic ability. Kristaps is a lot more stiff, but he's, like I said, he's a shooter, which is rare for a guy of that stature. And it is also interesting, he's a lot leaner than he once was. If you go back and look at like his Instagram or uh, go see pictures of him a little while ago, he used to be a lot more bulky. 
And behind the scenes, I guess there's been a lot of conversations with Kristaps and the Mavericks training staff, and they came to some co- somewhat of a compromise where Kristaps says, look, I feel more comfortable at a lighter weight. I'm a little bit thinner, a little more trimmed down. I feel more comfortable shooting when I have, you know, my shoulders aren't as bulky. Weird, unique. Again, he's not a, he's not a center. He's seven foot three, and he's really not, he's not, it doesn't play like most guys that would be seven foot three. He's very uh, finesse. But even though he hits threes and has a great jumper, he still does have some inside moves, almost like a center. It's very, he's like a weird, just a finesse player. And because he's unique, I, I find Kristaps really, really fun to watch. Just, oh man, it's awesome. And what's cool too is this year he's grown a lot more comfortable and he's now more vocal than I've ever seen Kristaps Porzingis in the past. When you compare Kristaps now to what he was years ago, you know, a little while ago with the New York Knicks, it's just not the same. And the way this Mavericks team has come together is crazy to me. Think about the way this team was assembled. Their two biggest stars, Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, both of them were acquired through trades, which is like, how did anybody ever part ways with these two really great players? Kristaps, I get, you know, he had injury issues and it just didn't quite work in New York. But what's more amazing to me is that Luka Doncic was once drafted by the Atlanta Hawks and they traded him away for Trey Young. And I like Trey Young. I'm a fan of him. I follow him on Instagram. And it seems like Trey Young is going to have a solid NBA career. But Luka is an MVP candidate. Luka is phenomenal. His stat lines are ridiculous. And I just go back to it. It's crazy the way the Mavericks were put together, the way they were assembled through trades. They didn't draft these guys. They, I mean, you can kind of argue that the, the Mavericks did draft Luka, but they made a trade. It's, it's, it's all complicated and messy. But I just, I just find it fascinating. And Luka's awesome, man. He's a bright young star. You know, he had, on Friday night, he had 28 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists. Uh, he had a triple-double. He had a couple step-back threes where I just went, wow, that's, that's beautiful. Some notable buckets uh, and an and one I, I really liked. Now, the ending of this game Friday night was absurd. And it was one of those kind of a missed opportunity where you went, man, I, I really so badly wish we could have had a real crowd there. The game went to overtime. And if there had been a real live crowd, if it was a normal non-coronavirus season where there's not a global pandemic, it, the crowd would have been so energized and fun at the end of this game, chanting and cheering and loud. And it was, it's really the first time I've ever noticed, like, man, I wish there was a, a crowd here. I, I, for Of all the NBA games I watched, this one was the one where I went, I really am feeling the impact of not having a crowd here because this moment would feel so much more epic if there was people there chanting and yelling and hoping and hollering. And... I got to say, it was interesting. The Mavericks had so many opportunities in this game to put it away. But the Mavs could not close at the end of this game. I mean, they had a six-point lead with a minute left. Six points, a minute left, and the Mavericks ended up losing in the end in overtime. And then what's crazier to me is with 5.2 seconds left, Dallas had a two-point lead, and Seth Curry, Steph Curry's little brother, Little, little brother, older brother, I, I'm so sorry, I don't know. I, 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 it's escaped my mind, I can't remember, and I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, Seth Curry's shooting free throws. He's got two of them. And if he makes both free throws, it's a four-point game, and the Mavericks put the game away. But he only made the second free throw. It was so weird. It's like, well, Seth Curry, what? 
you are you're a great shooter, and it didn't. Go, how do you miss the first free throw? I have no idea. And it made it still remaining a one point game. And then later you had James Harden shooting foul shots, and you know he was down one thirty nine to one thirty six. It was a controversial moment where he was catching and shooting, and he got fouled right before he started shooting. I guess where. I mean, that's why you practice fouling. It's a weird thing you do at practice where you do work on very quickly getting on a guy and fouling him before he can get a shot off. Because, again, if you foul a guy while he's shooting, you get three points, you know, three foul shots instead of uh, two free throws. And so James Harden makes the first three throw, a uh, free throw. That makes the score 139 to 137. So the Rockets are down two points with like three point something seconds left. And you're like, man, I don't know how in the world the Rockets are going to make this work. Well, James Harden misses the second free throw. I don't think it was intentional. I think he really was trying to make it. It rattles out. Robert Covington comes around from the right side of the hoop, flips around to the left, tips it in, tie ball game. Oh my gosh. Wow, it's a tie game with like three seconds left. Now, Luka Doncic had a chance to hit the game-winning three-pointer, and he missed. And so what I'm saying is that it just piled up. The opportunities that the Dallas Mavericks had to put this game away that they squandered a six-point lead with a minute left. Seth Curry misses a free throw, and you're like, I could have been a four-point lead. And then if you don't allow Robert Covington to tip the ball in, or if Luka Doncic can make a game winner, or later in overtime, you know, there was the the Mavericks had a four-point lead in overtime. It's kind of insane to me. Dallas really could not come up with clutch points at the end of the game. I don't know if that's something they're going to grow into, maybe as as Luka gets older and as Kristaps becomes whatever he's going to become, if they maybe down the road develop a clutch factor, I don't know. But it is an issue that Dallas has had all year where in close games, they have not delivered clutch points and clutch moments. And because James Harden draws so many fouls, eventually at the end of the game, at the end of overtime, Luka Doncic actually fouled out. Totally no opportunity. And that's partially on Luka. You got to know the situation. You have one foul left to give before you're out of the game. You can't foul in that situation. And so unfortunately for the Mavericks, you know, they are right now the seventh seed in the West. And meaning if things stay the same, then the Dallas Mavericks are going to have to play against the LA Clippers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. So I really look at it and go, man, the Mavericks got to win to move up in the standings so they can play a team like the Nuggets or the Jazz in round one. But I got to say, man, I, I really, I go back to this. If you didn't watch on Friday, I, I recorded it because I, I just have such a good time watching it. Um, if you can and still are interested, go find a way to watch the Rockets versus the Mavericks. It was a great game. If you watch it, it was awesome. But at the end of everything, that is what we learned from the Rockets and the Mavericks game. Now, I need to drink something real quick. My throat is killing me. I haven't slept all night. I mean, it's it's insane. Why am I? I just love my job. I'm trying to grind and get as much content out as I possibly can. But again, I don't. I mean, I I could have recorded five hours ago and made a crappy episode. I really worked hard to try to make a high quality, interesting, good episode. Um, so the Portland Trailblazers. What am I saying? The Portland Trailblazers are a team that just. I mean, really, they create matchup problems where they have three capable, good seven-footers, which is kind of absurd, where they have Yusuf Nurkic, they have Zach Collins, and Hassan Whiteside. And before the NBA restart, originally when the season left off, they did not have Nurkic, and Zach Collins was injured. Both of them were injured. And now, you know, the restart gave them a lot of time to heal, 
They got Nurkic back when he wasn't supposed to play at all this year. They got Zach Collins back. And now the Blazers have an embarrassment of riches where, and maybe Nurkic was supposed to come back. I honestly don't know. I know that he's back now and I didn't expect, I know personally, I didn't expect him to come back. Maybe there was some timetable I'm not aware of. But the point is that now the Blazers have more size than they were expected to have. And then not only do they have three seven-footers who are all very capable of being NBA starters, you also have Blazers. The Blazers can hit threes, man. They have Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, <laughs> Carmelo Anthony, who's not the same as he once was, but, man, we'll talk about the role he's found with the Blazers. It's so cool. And then this guy, Gary Trent Jr., who Gary Trent Jr. had four three-pointers against the Grizzlies. I just was like, wow, okay, wow. And it was crazy, man. Yusuf Nurkic really, really brings his team together. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but Carmelo Anthony, to me, fits really well with this Blazers team. And I'm so happy for him. I thought at one point Carmelo Anthony's career was over, and it was really sad. Uh, a sad fall from grace where he was once a star that clearly wasn't capable of being a star anymore. And now Melo's not the star with the Blazers, but he's found a role and somewhat of a niche really, really well with them where it just works. And the Blazers are such a tight-knit group. And there's a lot of camaraderie. I mentioned Yusuf Nurkic, and he's been a really vital part of this roster. He's done one of the best jobs I have ever seen from a player who gets hurt but stays engaged with the team, really sticking around and hanging around there, being an emotional leader. And the leadership that Yusuf Nurkic has shown really clearly had an influence on Zach Collins. Where, you know, in 2018, the 2018-2019 season, not earlier this year, but actually last year, you know, not early, not the season that was canceled and postponed and moved back to August for the NBA restart. No, last year, the year before last, Yusuf Nurkic had a really bad injury, a horrific, horrific knee injury, gets hurt. And then a month later, he's on the bench yelling. He's there with his teammates, I believe in a cast, just doing his thing, supporting the people there, supporting the Blazers, supporting his teammates. And Yusuf did not play for over a year, over a year away from basketball. No, I get it. He was training, scrimmaging, doing whatever he had to do, but didn't play in a live game for over a year until the NBA restart opener for the Blazers against the Grizzlies. And he was great, man. He looked like he hadn't lost a step. You're like, how do you go for, how do you not skip a beat? We saw guys, Paul George was playing earlier in March, right? <laughs> and Paul George in the NBA opener against the Lakers, the second game of the year, the NBA restart, Paul George was awful shooting in the early part of the game. And Yusuf Nurkic did not look rusty at all. And here's what's cool. When Zach Collins, another Blazers seven-footer, got hurt, Zach followed Yusuf Nurkic's example. He stayed engaged. He stayed close. And it's just crazy, man. Coming back after a year off like Yusuf Nurkic did, not missing a beat against the Grizzlies playing great, having nine rebounds, 18 points, five assists, six blocks. He eventually did foul out, I believe, right at the beginning of overtime. They're like, ah. But, he, but he's had a valiant performance, and I really want to give him credit. He makes a huge impact inside on defense. Uh, even if his stat line is solid, 18 points, nine rebounds, the six blocks were a big, big deal in this game. And th then the story comes out about Yusuf Nurkic where – his grandma in Bosnia has coronavirus. And they're like, what? She's in a coma? In a hospital in Bosnia? It's just wild to me. And I, I just, I, I find Yusuf Nurkic, if you're a, I, I like rooting for players. He's a player that's so easy 
to like because of his great attitude, his clear work ethic. He's like the, I, mean, I think somebody called him the spirit animal of the Blazers recently where someone was talking about how he's just our heart and soul of our team. Um, and, I mean, the Blazers are a playoff team, if you ask me, and not because of an emotional connection. I know I live in the Portland area. I'm actually not a Blazer fan. I just really respect what they have. But here's what's cool. Again, the Blazers are a tough matchup. Their height is incredible. You know, they have three seven-footers that are all very capable of being NBA starters. They can hit threes. They have four guys who can do that. They have Damian Lillard, who is criminally underrated. I mean, Damian Lillard can score inside. He can shoot. He's such a complete offensive player. But then he's also a great leader. This is another part of his game that's underappreciated. There was a moment where... Nearing the end of the third quarter, the Blazers were down, uh, they were in danger, down 11 points. And Dame literally pulled the five guys on the court all together into a huddle. And like, I would love to know what Damian Lillard said. I, I really don't know. But whatever he said in that huddle, a, a switch was flipped at work because the energy ramped up, the defensive effort went up. And, you know, t- just two minutes later, you know, right, right at the end of the third quarter, this happened with. Like just around three minutes left in the third quarter, they were down 11. By the end of the third quarter, you know, a little over two minutes later, the Blazers were only down three points, an eight minute, eight point deficit gone like that. And then another minute later, one minute into the fourth quarter, <laughs> Blazers had the lead. So, whatever Damian Lillard said, I have no idea what he said, but it's clear he's a motivating factor on that team where they follow him. And they seem like a team on a mission from everything they've said, all the things they talk about. You know, they, they're not here for the ride. The Blazers are here to upset some people and, and really, really show that they are not the same team that had a losing record in March. They're a better team, much more improved with different people. And I, I got to say this too. I want to give, I've been talking about the Blazers the entire, entire topic. I haven't said one thing about the Grizzlies. And I want to say this. For the majority early on in this game, I was really not impressed with John Morant. I don't know if not impressed is the right word. He was underwhelming. John Morant is potentially going to be the NBA Rookie of the Year. Uh, he's a Grizzlies rookie. He's uh, obviously, he's phenomenal. Like, statistically, he's like, oh, he's great. And again, for most of this game, I was sitting around going like, where's John Morant? When is John Morant going to do anything? And at halftime, for example, John Morant had two points at halftime. You're like, uh, this is the guy who's going to win... NBA Rookie of the Year, but I got to give the guy credit. In the third quarter, John Morant came alive. He really stepped up. He had a big alley-oop. It was loud. It was energizing. It really boosted the people around him on his team. And then he had a big bucket around some point in the third quarter where, you know, that, that lead I talked about where there was a point where the Grizzlies were ahead by 11 points in the third quarter. That all started when the Grizzlies took a lead, which is when John Morant had a really good bucket to make it 82 to 81. I went, wow, okay. John Morant really is stepping into things. I wanted to give him a shout out. I don't have a lot to say. This topic really is all about the Blazers, but shout out to John Morant. He was in danger of like not impressing me. And then I was like, oh, okay, there he is. He, he scored some points and really came alive in the second half. Now, one play I really, really loved from the Blazers was, it was really an example of CJ McCollum's unselfishness where, right at the end of regulation, because this game went to overtime. C.J. McCollum gets a pass. He's, you know, beyond the, uh, beyond the arc, around, like, what am I saying? Like, the, the elbow, if you go beyond the arc, behind the elbow, whatever port of the, part of the basketball court that is called, technically, he's, beyond, he's behind the three-point line. 
catches the pass. A guy's closing out on him, and he unselfishly, instead of shooting a contested three, he finds Carmelo Anthony wide open. Carmelo Anthony for the game-tying three, bam, drains it. And that led the Blazers to overtime. And I was like, oh, yes. I was so happy watching, you know, Zach Collins, Yusuf Nurkic, you know, you know, rub the head of Carmelo Anthony and celebrate. I was like, oh, this team is fun, man. Like, I don't care who you are. It, they got really interesting people on their team. And in overtime, the Blazers dominated. I mean, at one point in overtime, the Blazers led by 11 points. And the Grizzlies did not score for the first three minutes of overtime. And remember, overtime's only five minutes, so they didn't score until two minutes left in overtime. And uh, my, my final comment on this game, I guess, is to say that the only part of this game I didn't like, I had a really good time with it. Uh, I was really glad John Morant did come alive. I'd be, I'd be upset if I said, hey, John Morant only had two points in the entire game because I like John Morant. I want him to become another big star in the NBA. That'd be really cool to have another. Okay, wow, the Grizzlies have a young player. I li- the more young players you can have, that are growing in the league and making the league better, the better it is for everybody. But the one thing I got to say about this game that I found really frustrating, if you watched it, let me know too. I felt this way where the referees called a bunch of really ridiculous and weird technical fouls. It just was silly where you could not say anything. They did not allow trash talk. And I don't even know if trash talk is the right word there. You couldn't say anything to anybody. You couldn't talk to your, like you couldn't dunk on somebody and then walk away and not say it in the guy's face, but say it off into the ether and go, yeah, I'm the king. You saw, you couldn't say anything, right? And you also couldn't even say anything to your own NBA bench, which is weird, let alone the other team. But why can't you even talk? Why can't you celebrate with your own bench? It was weird to me. And it felt like the refs went a little bit overboard. I just didn't quite like that. It was annoying. But in the, in the end, the Blazers won 140 to 135 in overtime. And, man, they move a step closer to the playoffs. The Blazers are in the playoff hunt. And they are a team that I think is setting themselves up very, very well to upset somebody in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Maybe if they're the eight seed and the, and the L.A. Lakers are the one seed, maybe the team they've upset in the first round of the NBA playoffs is, in fact, LeBron James and the Lakers. How wild would that be? All right, guys, um, I want to shift gears to something. There's a game on Tuesday night. Oh, my gosh. So, on Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Western time. I guess that's 9 p.m. Eastern time. Sorry, I live on the West Coast. That's what I go by. I probably should have said Eastern. I guess that's standard. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, The Blazers play the Rockets on Tuesday night. And this is a matchup I cannot wait to see. It feels like a... A weird science experiment where you're like, I, I just got to see how these two things react when they run into each other. Because you have the Blazers with four guys who can hit threes. Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Carmelo Anthony, Gary Trent Jr. had four three-pointers against the Grizzlies. And the Blazers on that attack are going up against the Rockets' small ball attack where the Rockets don't play with the center. They really move the ball very well. They spread out along the perimeter. They create a lot of isolation opportunities for Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And so you have the small ball attack of the Houston Rockets where they really have no height at all. And then you contrast that with the other interesting aspect of the Blazers where the Blazers have a wealth of seven-footers, three really capable seven-footers, Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins, Hassan Whiteside. And the Rockets literally cannot defend a guy like Yusuf Nurkic. He's too big. They don't have a height. Uh, they don't have anybody with the height to challenge Yusuf Nurkic, especially a guy that athletic. 
And so the only answer Houston can have to the Blazers' height is to just score more points than them, to make it into a track meet and say, you can't catch us, we'll score more points than you. You can have two-pointers all day with Yusuf Nurkic inside. We're going to have James Harden shooting threes and getting and ones. So the question really is, and really I guess the two questions are about Tuesday night, are can the Blazers keep up with the Houston Rockets scoring? Can they keep pace with the Rockets, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and everybody else there? And then can the Blazers avoid foul trouble? Again, the Rockets' isolation ball with James Harden is so susceptible to drawing fouls. James Harden is so good at getting free throw opportunities. Can the Blazers avoid getting into foul trouble and giving James Harden just a bunch of free, easy free throws? So again, Blazers, Rockets on Tuesday night. I think it's just going to be a whether, uh, maybe it's a blowout. Maybe, I think if if one team is going to win by a lot of points, it would probably be the Rockets pulling away because the Blazers might not be able to keep up with them offensively. But to me, I look at it and go, that's just a really fascinating science experiment type matchup where I cannot wait to see how the Blazers' three-pointing ability and the height contrast against the small ball of the Houston Rockets. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to watch it. And again, Tuesday night, Blazers-Rockets. I think it's a game. It's a game, the one game on my calendar I've circled and gone, I cannot wait to watch that one. If there's one game you watch this week in the NBA, go watch Blazers versus Rockets on Tuesday night. All right, guys, um, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, uh, we got a lot ahead. We're going to talk about Giannis. We're going to talk about the Lakers and their ugly loss to the Raptors. Uh, later down the road, we'll talk about Mitchell Trubisky. We'll talk about Joe Burrow. Uh, we'll talk about baseball, how baseball is just a gigantic mess right now. Um, there are three teams in the NBA I still have not watched in the NBA restart. I'll talk about them and why I can't wait to watch them. And then, of course, do not forget, at the very end of the show, the last topic of the day, I have a really, really fun topic about TJ Watt that I'm excited about that is just going to be um, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm hyping it up too much. I just think it's going to be silly and fun. So we'll talk about TJ Watt down the road. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, you know, the one kind of factor I haven't considered in this ridiculous marathon I've gone on where I have not slept in a well over uh, 24 hours at this point where I've been watching basketball constantly and preparing the show and I guess the one thing I didn't consider is what happens if I finish recording and I just crash? Like, what if I, I mean, I have in the past fallen asleep at my, my, my laptop and just, you know, face first on the keyboard, like zonked out. Cause at some point you just, you hit a wall where you can't go any further. I got to edit the show. I got to put it out. I really hope I can. I, maybe I'm dramatizing. I just realized like I have a, a, maybe a flaw in my thinking where if you don't sleep for too long, eventually your body does just give up and say, I can't do anymore. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I want to get this out. I want to get it out on Sunday morning so people can hear it. And uh, I don't know. And I, I hope I don't. I, I'm just a madman, in, in my opinion. Like, I really, I really want to get content out and make it incredible, make it really good. I want to start with this. I want to talk about the Lakers. I, I'm probably talking way too much about myself. That's not my intent. Um, I'm, I'm tired. I don't know. Screw you if you don't like it. Uh, Saturday night, the Lakers got beat really bad. And it was just ugly. It was not a good performance. They lost 107-92 to the Toronto Raptors. I mean, at halftime, LeBron James and Anthony Davis had combined together, the two of them combined, 
for only eight points. Oh, now LeBron did finish with 20. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but the star of the show to me, Saturday night, was Kyle Lowry, the Raptors point guard. Oh my goodness. I have so much respect for Kyle Lowry. Uh, that dude was all over the court. He, that's how he plays. I mean, he literally was laying on the court at times. The dude gets knocked down. He, he's diving for the ball. Um, he's tough. He's physical. He gives so much effort where, I mean, he took charges. He had a three right in Anthony Davis's face. I went, wow, Kyle Lowry, that is a massive, massive three. And, uh, I mean, he's a point guard. Kyle Lowry is a point guard. And yet he had 14 rebounds on Saturday night against the Lakers. He had more rebounds than any other player participating in the game. 14. The second most rebounds in the game was by LeBron James. He had 10. I mean, Kyle Lowry, he also, by the way, scored 33 points. He had five three-pointers. And I just had a blast watching Kyle Lowry. I went, wow, this dude is just a competitor. And I, I think his teammates like him. There's clearly a lot of cohesion there in Toronto with uh, Pascal Siakam. And we'll talk about the guy guarding LeBron James. Man, the guy guarding LeBron James, OG and an Obi. It's so hard. I'm so bad at pronouncing. I'm going to try it again. I'll say it quickly so I, I don't sound as stupid. OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi? Ananobi. OG Ananobi. I am an idiot. Please forgive me for listening. Uh, LeBron with James is guarded by that dude. And honestly, again, it's pretty clear. Never heard of him. And I do apologize to Raptors fans. Um, not only did he score 23 points, his defensive effort really kept LeBron James in check. And I guess he's been around for a while, apparently, when uh, little uh, they talked about it in the game during the broadcast where apparently when LeBron James ended the season for the Raptors you know, two, three years ago when he was on the Cavs, he made the shot over OJ Ananobi. So um, I got to give credit to that guy, man. He really slowed down LeBron. LeBron James had a very quiet 20 points, but in the first half especially, OG was phenomenal. And I know it's really cringeworthy the way I'm saying his name. I'm doing the best I can. Um, it's <laughs> it's like when you do Formula One, and I try to do Formula One, and I'm saying things that are like British or Italian words, and I'm like, look, I, I never grew up saying this. I'm such an idiot. I'm a stupid, um, like a <laughs> lizard brain boy. Um, it's time, you know, I want to take a look at the Lakers. And when I do, as I, as I step back and look at what happened on Saturday night, Raptors-Lakers, I don't know how a Lakers fan can look at their team right now and feel good. I, I just don't. Uh, the Lakers have championship aspirations. And, you know, if you look back, they just barely beat the Clippers. And the Clippers were missing two star players. And by the way, people keep saying, I've gotten so many messages on social media where people are saying like, well, you know, you talked about how the Clippers are missing two players, but you forget to mention that the Lakers are missing Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley. And I, I mean, I guess, look, you're, you're not wrong. They are missing Rajon Rondo. They are missing Avery Bradley. The difference, though, the reason why the Lakers missing two players is irrelevant is because the Lakers are not going to get Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley back. They're not coming back. They're not going to play in the bubble at all. Whereas the Clippers are adding Lou Williams. He's coming off a of quarantine. And at some point, Montrez Harrell is expected to play for the Clippers. You know, Montrez Harrell's grandma just died. Um, and he's taking his time to come back. The Clippers have said, hey, take your time. A death in family's awful. But it seems like eventually he's going to come back. 
and really the truth is it could be a while. He's not needed for a while. You don't need you don't need uh Montrez Harrell until maybe even like the second or third round of the NBA playoffs. And you can really get by for a while without him. And then when he brings it back, you're like, oh my gosh, we are loaded again. So that was cringy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, so Lakers barely beat a Clippers team that was not at full strength. And then they got embarrassed by a much more, a very clearly much more obviously more complete team, the Toronto Raptors. And it's just not good. Again, I repeat this. I don't know how a Lakers fan can look in the mirror and go, yeah, I feel good about my team. My team has a chance to win. I don't, I don't think the Lakers do have a chance to win the NBA. I mean, everybody has a chance, I guess. Technically, that's how the playoffs work. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I, I would not feel good if I'm a Laker fan right now. Now, the Raptors. Man, oh, the East is going to be fun. You know, part of that is because, you know, the way the NBA Finals are lining up. So I think I guess what I'm trying to say here is that all the attention is on the NBA Finals. Everybody's talking about what team in the East is going to play what team in the West, and we all kind of assume it's probably going to be the Milwaukee Bucks against the LA Clippers. That's kind of the general assumption around the league. If you had to make a prediction, you're predicting those two teams to meet each other in the NBA Finals. And I think it's great people are talking about the NBA Finals. It's going to be a lot of fun. But I also think people should not get ahead of themselves. I mean, look, you have two conferences, the East and the West, and the conference championships are going to be so great on their own. I mean, think about this. In the East, you're likely going to have the Bucks, but the question is, who are the Milwaukee Bucks going to play against? Likely the Raptors, but maybe the Boston Celtics. We'll talk about the Boston Celtics in the next topic of this episode where the Celtics just played against the Milwaukee Bucks, and they really, really did a good job staying with them basically point for point. And so, man, the Eastern Conference Finals, we can talk about the entire NBA Finals. Well, just the Eastern Conference alone, it's, it's really competitive. It's really back and forth. It's really interesting to me. And the Conference Finals are going to be really great, high-quality, interesting basketball where I don't know who's going to win. And that's fun to me. But again, I will say the Raptors seem like a team on a mission. And maybe they are, maybe they should be the dark horse that could beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, in the West, you have the Lakers and the Clippers. Obviously, everyone they're one and two right now, and they're LA, and everyone talks about them. And they played in the, you know, they were the kind of marquee game on the opening night of the NBA restart. But the Rockets, you know, they play their small ball. They're interesting. They play, you know, everybody spread on spread out on the perimeter. It creates a lot of isolation, one on one opportunities for guys like James Harden who draws fouls at the at the bucket, or you have you know, Russell Westbrook blowing right by people getting to the basket. Or, hey, if you want to give help defense on Russell Westbrook, go pass it out to anybody and they'll hit a three. So the Rockets, I think, deserve a little bit of respect. Maybe they could be a team that'll, I mean, they're definitely going to be hard to play against. They're going to upset somebody, it seems like, in the NBA playoffs. And the Mavericks are unlikely to make it to or win the NBA, uh, the, the Western Conference Finals. But I think they're worth mentioning. Now they're missing players. Um, and I, I really think they struggle to score points in clutch moments. But I do think it's interesting. Luka Doncic, Kristaps Porzingis, there's a list. There's something there. And whether they get to the conference finals or not, they're going to be interesting in the playoffs to watch. Now, the team, I've been saying this for a long time. The team people got to pay attention to in the Western Conference Finals is the Portland Trailblazers. They got a ton of height. They have three guys worthy of being starters 
in the NBA. Yusuf Nurkic, an all-star. Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins is a seven-footer. Hassan Whiteside is a seven-footer. An embarrassment of riches with height. And then they have a bunch of dudes who can hit threes. Carmelo Anthony, not to, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. I, I just think, man, you really got to pay attention um, to the Blazers. They are a team that could do some damage in the Western Conference Finals. Now, the playoffs are going to be a war, and I, I just feel like the Lakers are not cut out for that war. I don't think they're ready. I, I love Alex Caruso. I really do. Alex Caruso, the former Texas A&M player, he gives great, phenomenal effort on defense. By the way, if you don't know, Alex Caruso is from the, the what is the, the name? I forget the name of the town. He's from the town that, Texas a- uh, College Station. He's from College Station where Texas A&M is. I mean, that's cool. He's a hometown kid who went to the local college, probably lived with his family all through college. And he's a great role player. I love him. And he's great on defense. He gives great effort. He had a couple steals against the Raptors. And wow, that's a good fast break because of that steal. And LeBron seems to trust Alex Caruso, which is a big deal. And then the Lakers have a guy, you know, Kyle Kuzma, another guy I like. But LeBron needs to get going. We've been waiting for LeBron to turn it on. And he had a brief flash at the end of the Clippers game where, you know, wow, LeBron it was dominant against Kawhi and Paul George. But that was a brief moment. And the entire Raptors game, I was like, when is LeBron going to turn it on? And you waited and you waited and you waited. And it's like an engine where you keep, you keep turning the engine, but the battery's dead. There's nothing there. And so I, I don't know... I guess I don't know where I'm going with this. I, I don't know how to close the segment. I have no idea other than to say I just that I'm concerned about the Lakers. I, I just don't think they have what it takes to win down the stretch in an important time, in an important, 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 I guess that's the word, important moment where where is LeBron? Was LeBron, did he check out against the Raptors? We were waiting and waiting and waiting, and he really struggled the first half against the Clippers. And I don't think he's got enough help to beat a team like the Clippers if the Clippers are at full strength. And then not to mention he's got to play the teams in the East. And the teams in the East this year, it's not for years and years when LeBron was in the Eastern Conference, we talked about how, and look, I love LeBron. I think LeBron is awesome. I'm a huge fan of him, legitimately. But for years when LeBron was in the East, the East was a joke. That's just not true anymore. The Bucks are good. The Celtics are good. The Raptors are really good. And so I... I just don't, I don't think the Lakers have a shot at a championship this year. And I don't know how many different ways I can say that, but I just, I want Laker fans to guard their hearts a little bit. Cause my dad's a giant Laker fan. And I tell my dad every time I talk to him, I go, man, I, I don't know how you feel good. Cause I, I certainly don't feel good. I know you love LeBron. My dad is, you know, really drinking the LeBron James Kool-Aid all the way. And I get it, man. I've even said in the past on this show, the two people in the sports world, you don't bet against are Tom Brady and LeBron James. Because every time you think they can't do something right, they defy all expectations. That's why Tom Brady's playing it like, he's like he's like 57,000 years old and he's still dominating in the NFL. But this year, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I have a really bad feeling about LeBron James and the Lakers. And I don't, I don't know how to end this topic other than to say that. I just don't feel good about the Lakers' place right now in the NBA bubble and the championship and the entire the 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 fight for the NBA finals champion ship English is hard um the NBA Eastern Conference is in a weird spot right now because of the bubble because of the way things have worked out there's just not a lot of urgency in the Eastern Conference I don't know if I'm gonna I'm gonna restart this because I think it's really important 
the NBA Eastern Conference right now is in a weird spot because there's really no urgency because of the way things have worked out where there are eight teams that are going to make the playoffs in the East and there are only nine teams from the Eastern Conference even at the NBA bubble in Orlando. And the number nine seed, I mean, it just feels like the odd man out where right now it's the Wizards and they're six games out of making the playoffs. And I just, unless it would take a catastrophic meltdown for one of the seven or eight seeds in order for the Wizards to find a way to make it into the NBA playoffs, I just don't see it happening. It's just honestly weird the Wizards got invited at all. It seems like they were brought to balance things out and give an even amount of teams to have play. So the Eastern Conference very clearly is nearly locked. Uh, if you're in the Eastern Conference, you're not worried about your seating. You're going to make the playoffs. You're, you're totally fine. And so it makes the games, these eight seeding games going into the playoffs are just a lot less important if you're in the NBA Eastern Conference. And what that does is allows for a lot of wiggle room and a lot of opportunity to play around. We'll talk about that. But I was watching the Milwaukee Bucks against the Boston Celtics, um, and I couldn't help but think that this game, all that game did, the Celtics lost to the Milwaukee Bucks, 119 to 112. But all that game did was help the Boston Celtics. All that game did was give them film to watch. And, and to be honest, the Celtics really hung very well with the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, nearly bucket for bucket. And that's in spite of the fact that, I mean, Jason Tatum, oh my goodness, had an awful day. He scored five points for the Celtics. He was two for 18 shooting on the day. Ridiculous, absurd, awful. And not to mention, you know, Kemba Walker was limited. He only played 19 minutes because he's got a sore knee. And again, this whole game was a game for me that gave me the vibe of, this is the Celtics gathering film to watch on the Milwaukee Bucks. So they can look at, hey, this is what the Bucks did here and there. And they can make slight adjustments to what the Bucks are doing. Again, the Bucks won 119, 112. But the Celtics didn't need to win. They were just scouting. They were just gathering film. And Jason Tatum especially had a lot of moments where he's going to go back and watch and go, ooh, that was a mistake. That was bad foot positioning. That was a mistake. Ooh, that was really stupid, a, a risky, dumb mistake. I mean, there's a sequence where you, if you go back and watch it, um, where Jason Tatum had the wrong foot up. You know, he, Jason Tatum was in a poor position. He let Giannis right past him. And if he could go back and do it over again, he should have his left foot up, force Giannis to go to the left. And then the Celtics got to realize, hey, if Giannis is driving to the basket, we got to have help defense and force Giannis to do an outlet pass out to the perimeter. And maybe if Giannis wants to take on two guys going up strong, hey, that's fine. He might score. Giannis is incredible inside. But let's make him earn it. Don't give him an easy bucket blowing right past Jason Tatum. He went to the right, actually, because Jason Tatum's feet were wrong. Don't let him just go right to the right, right past you into the bucket. Give him an easy bucket. At least make it difficult for Giannis. And then there was another situation later where Giannis is way behind the three-point line. And for whatever reason, Jason Tatum took a dangerous swipe at the ball hoping for a steal. And the risk backfired, of course, and it gave Giannis a direct line at the basket, another easy bucket. And I'm telling you that on film, when the Celtics watch this game, they're going to go, oh, we got to make that adjustment. We got to do this. We got to do that. All this game did was help, again, help the Boston Celtics see where they come up short and how, what adjustments they can make to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. And I want to see the, the Boston Celtics play the Bucks again at some point 
in a meaningful playoff game situation. I think it'd be incredible. And despite all of the stuff that worked against Boston, they really did hang with the Milwaukee Bucks almost shot for shot. Now, again, I go back to you know, Jason Tatum, horrible day shooting. Jason Tatum, repeated mistakes guarding Giannis, giving him way too easy of buckets. The Celtics, really bad help defense. And Kemba Walker, limited minutes. If you fix all those little things, oh, wow. Uh, the Celtics have a very good shot to beat the Bucks if they rematch at some point down the road. Now, the roster the Bucks have assembled is really impressive. I don't know if you've paid any attention to it. Um, obviously, they have Giannis, who is going to probably win the MVP in the NBA for the second year in a row. Uh, and by the way, I love Giannis. I think if he wins the MVP, deserves it. I, I think he's a great dude. I think he's a great representative of the NBA. I think LeBron James is right now the grandfather of the NBA. And very soon, the torch is being passed to Giannis. Um, he's so fun to watch. I mean, Giannis is so powerful. And he does not move like a guy who's six foot eleven. But one of the things that when I was watching the Bucks Celtics, I just forgot. Oh yeah, you have Dante Divincenzo. Like, oh yeah, and I'll never forget Divincenzo's performance in the NCAA championship game against Michigan. He had like thirty something points. Just blew up. Had an incredible game uh, against Michigan, and really played himself into a spot in the NBA. And so. Dante got a start against the Celtics because Eric Bledsoe is still in quarantine. And then you go, okay, well, they have DiVincenzo. They have Eric Bledsoe, who's phenomenal. They have Chris Middleton, who's a huge stud. Maybe they should have flipped. Maybe, maybe Eric Bledsoe's a huge stud. Chris Middleton's a phenomenal player. Uh, Wesley Matthews, the Lopez brothers. Uh, Brooke Lopez is a force inside. He had six blocks. Uh, Robin Lopez, is he's there, and he helps a little bit. Uh, it's, it's cool they have brothers on the team. Like, you have two sets of brothers. They have, the, uh, they have Giannis and his brother. And they have the Lopez brothers. They also have George Hill. And, oh, yeah, I, I just, I, it blew my mind. I forgot they had Kyle Korver. I went, oh, yeah. Ky- Dante DiVincenzo and Kyle Korver. I mean, this roster the Bucks have assembled is awesome. But I still do think that in a more urgent scenario where the Bucks or where the Celtics, excuse me, have Jason Tatum shooting better, they make adjustments. Jason Tatum plays Giannis a lot better. They have better help defense and where Kemba Walker plays the entire game. The Celtics really can challenge the Milwaukee Bucks, and I hope we get a chance to see that happen. I don't know that we will, but if we get a rematch of the Bucks and the Celtics in the playoffs, oh my goodness, I do think the Celtics very much have an opportunity to beat the Bucks, and it'd be really, really fun. All right, um, <clears throat> there are three teams I still haven't watched play yet in the NBA restart, um, and teams that I really want to, teams that I'm really fascinated with, and I'm like, ooh, they're doing some stuff that has grabbed my attention and makes me want to watch. So the number one team I want to watch is the Miami Heat. I am a huge Jimmy Butler fan. Um, I love Jimmy Butler's desire to win. You know, on Saturday night, the Heat beat the Nuggets 125 to 105. And six members of the Miami Heat had double-digit scoring. I went, oh, wow. That's a team I want to see. Not to mention that Eric Spolster, Eric Spolster is their head coach. He's really the best coach LeBron has ever had. It's interesting. He's and, and impressive, really. He's the only coach to survive LeBron 
Usually LeBron gets coaches fired, or at the very least when LeBron leaves a team, the team that he leaves, the coach gets fired in the wake of LeBron James leaving. So Eric Spolstra, the guy who survived LeBron, and he's a stud, man. To have LeBron leave, to have Dwayne Wade retire, to lose Chris Bosh, and then still revitalize the team. And that part of that's good management, part of that's the way the Heat are run. But he's done a great job coaching the Miami Heat, and uh, I enjoy watching them. I, I, I haven't watched them so far yet in the NBA restart. I mean to. I'm excited to do it. I have a schedule looking ahead this week. I'm going to watch them at some point, and it's going to be great. I can't remember what dates. I think it's actually two games this week I'm going to watch of the Heat. should be really fun. Now, number two, I also really, really want to watch the Indiana Pacers. They just beat the 76ers, and um, I mean, Victor Oladipo, their, their main star, is awesome. I love Victor Oladipo. I love his competitive spirit. But against the 76ers, TJ Warren put up 53 points. TJ Warren. He had nine three-pointers. Nine. (laughs) Okay. Wow. And this is a dude who was traded to the Pacers for a second-round pick and cash considerations. (laughs) Oh, wow. Nothing. Nothing. Like, like here, you want some pretzels? We'll give you that. And you can have <laughs> TJ Warren. And then, man, TJ Warren. I-, I watched the highlights of that 53-point game. I couldn't watch it. It was on a region lock. Really frustrating for me. I have, I have pretty much the best. I have YouTube TV, which lets me watch pretty much everything. And I thought I could watch a game. I was really disappointed. I could not. I watched the highlights. He did straight-up drain some... Three-pointers from way beyond the arc. I mean, just splash city. It was like, oh, that's beautiful. But he also did, a, to be fair, like, TJ uh, Warren did get a few lucky rolls. I also, you know, got to wonder, there were a couple moments where it felt like he was just in the right, right place at the right time in a fast break or, you know, a steal happened and he happened to be cherry-picking a little bit behind the, the, the line a little bit. And um, maybe it's circumstance. Maybe that's part of what helped um, TJ Warren score that many points. Maybe it really is skill. Maybe he really is that good at getting in the right spot and his shot is such that he gets bounces because he's got a, a light shot. I don't know. Um, but I, I want to see more. And I'm really curious. At this point, like it just grabbed my attention. Did TJ Warren get way better during the coronavirus pandemic? Did he just train and train and train and learn how to drain and drain and drain shot after shot after three-pointer? Maybe. So TJ Warren, at some point, I'm watching him this week. I can't wait to catch up with the Pacers, see what's going on, and see see if TJ Warren can keep it up. He was shooting lights out against the Philadelphia 76ers, and the 76ers are, in fact, the number three team I still haven't watched yet play in the NBA Restart and the team I want to watch because the 76ers have, I mean, these five players Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, and Al Horford. So many good players, and yet they are underachieving. (laughs) Is it their bench? Is their bench not good enough? What's going on? I mean, why in the world is a team with that much obvious talent, why is that team sixth right now? In the Eastern Conference, what's going on? I need to investigate. I investigate. I need to watch them. Those are the three teams I haven't watched yet in the NBA bubble. And the NBA, what is it? I guess it's the bubble technically. And the NBA restart that I haven't watched that I want to watch. The Miami Heat. Uh, I love Jimmy Butler. They seem to have good stuff going on. Their energy is great. Jimmy Butler is a great leader. 
the Indiana Pacers. I love Victor Oladipo, but really I want to watch for TJ Warren. Can he keep it going? And then the 76ers, man, it's a giant question mark. What's going on? Why can this team not put it together? It's Are they going to have to get rid of either Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons? Probably going to part ways with Joel, Joel Embiid. I mean, are they going to have to say, look, if you do the same thing, the definition of insanity is when you do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And at some point, the 76ers, whether it's this year or three years from now or two years, I have no idea. But at some point, the 76ers are going to have to look in the mirror and say, we're trying. And this current makeup of our team, for whatever reason, maybe they, I'm sure they know, I don't know. For whatever reason, it's not working. And I got to do more research and just, I got to keep looking into the 76ers. What is going on? I don't know, but it's very, very disappointing. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about the Major League Baseball is just going through some stuff. It's not good. It's it's just disappointing. We'll talk about Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about Joe Burrow. Uh, I'm going to react to his financial plan. Who would have thought that was interesting? We'll talk about Mitchell Trubisky, uh, the Bears quarterback. And then we'll end with TJ Watt, the younger brother of JJ Watt. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'll take a short break. I will be right back. All right, let's get back into the show. Um, Man, I love my job so much. I'm so happy. I posted on Instagram today about how it's important to balance work ethic and work your butt off really, but you got to enjoy it. You got to enjoy the process. You got to enjoy the journey. And I just, I want to tell you guys, if you're listening, um, I'm, I'm on this crazy tear where I haven't slept in like 24 hours and I'm, I'm working so hard to talk about sports and to make great topics and make a great podcast. And I want to be very clear. You know, I, I love it. I, I truly, I don't stay up late out of duty. You know, I, I stay up late. I, I want to make great content and I have a a, a really deep desire to make great stuff, but I I wouldn't and I couldn't do it if I didn't love my job just so very much. And so from the bottom of my heart, thank you so very much to the people who watch and listen and support. If you're out there, man, I I just want to say thank you because I, I was talking to my dad recently about life and, you know, this is a, I, I'll get into sports in a minute. I'm so sorry, but I'm, I'm just talking now. I Something came up, and I was like, man, I just don't want to lose what I have. I, I really am so fulfilled. I, I love my job. My girlfriend's incredible. I've got this new kitten, this stupid kitten who's just delightful and so nice and sweet. And um, I just – I'm happy, man. I'm so happy. And, and if you're watching or listening, you have contributed to that. And I want you to know, and I want you to, to be aware. And I just – I thank you, man. I, I really – Whoever you are, um, I, I hope we've had a chance to connect. I really try hard to connect with everybody I can. It's impossible to connect with everybody because I get, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of messages a day. Um, but if you're out there, thank you so very much for your uh, your kindness and for watching and listening. And you have changed my life forever, and I'm so grateful. Let's jump into sports. Now, here's an honest question. If there were no fans in the stands, that sounds like a rhyme, it's not. Why, with no fans on location, why do you need to play games in your home city, in your home stadium? We're talking massive stadiums that can hold thousands of people, but nobody's there. It's empty. 
And then why wouldn't you put a sports league in a bubble where you're keeping players isolated from the outside world with no opportunity of them getting coronavirus? Baseball has done stuff I don't understand many, many times. And and we're not just talking about the way they've handled this abbreviated season, the 60-game season and coronavirus. I mean, it's years in the making. I, I have been repeatedly baffled by the stuff that baseball is doing. And, you know, Major League Baseball had an opportunity to have a centralized season in Arizona. And they didn't do it. <laughs> and I, I, maybe it's very possible that heat was a factor, like straight up. If you're playing outdoors in Arizona in July and August, no way. Good luck. It's way too hot. Um, I believe it's like 119 there today. So unless you're playing in like somewhere higher up, and I, I, like, I have no idea the logistics. I, I don't know. Maybe that had a factor. There's something unknown that I don't understand. But it's clear to me that Major League Baseball is making things up as they go. And I I really want to try very, very hard to not be too tough on Major League Baseball because, like, I, I, although I really want to be, I really want to rail them. And I will a little bit. We'll talk about Rob Manfred. And my disdain for Rob Manfred is too hard to hide. And Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. But during coronavirus, I mean, long-term plans are really hard to do. It's it's really tough to make any kind of long-term plan. I, I My heart goes out to people who have spent money and time and a ton of effort. And really the money is the one that's the hardest for me to swallow is people that have put a lot into planning. And there's a stupid fly buzzing around, I think, unless I'm way too sleepy and I'm just seeing things. Um, but the people that have put a lot of energy into planning a trip to Hawaii, I feel bad for them because – you're kind of waiting. You keep pushing your trip back farther and farther and farther, hoping that at some point, maybe February, maybe March, maybe April next year in 2021, maybe maybe by Christmas 2021, I'll be able to go to Hawaii. I have no idea. And not me, whoever's planning the trip. And so my point is that any kind of long-term plan during coronavirus is just a, a, a total mess. And baseball's similar. Everything feels up in the air. Everything's hard to figure out. And it's I have some empathy there for the people planning baseball. It's like, yeah, what do you, unless you're in a bubble, it's impossible. But 20 members of the Miami Marlins, between coaches and players, have tested positive for coronavirus. That's a nightmare. And now you have players testing positive with the St. Louis Cardinals for COVID-19. And Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, said that if players don't shape up, then the season may need to be canceled And it was really not an advisory. He was threatening the players. And although unknowns are awful, you know, I I really, I don't know that all those are at word there. Unknowns are terrible. If you're a player right now, if you're a Major League Baseball player, how can you feel motivated to work hard this year if you don't even know that the game tomorrow is guaranteed? You're in limbo. When you're not sure what your future is, It is so hard to put effort into today because as human beings, I did a topic one time on Ask Zach where, you know, people write into the show and ask me a question. Some guy said, what would you do if you were stuck in Groundhog Day? And I said, honestly, I don't know what I would do because my entire life is in building towards my future. And if my future is unknown and I, my work I'm putting into the future might not be, it might be fruitless. (laughs) <laughs> like you, you're working so hard every day. You're going to the batting cages. You're preparing, you're studying pitchers. You're trying to learn every pitch. And then 
the season gets canceled, you're like, why am I putting? Why did I put all this work in to have the season taken away from me when I did nothing? To, so my point is, what's the motivation if you're a major league baseball player and you're not even sure if you're playing tomorrow? I I don't know. I it really is. It's a nightmare. Games have been postponed, and the schedule is all messed up. And Major League Baseball did an investigation into the Miami Marlins, and they ruled in the investigation. It became clear that the Marlins did not follow the rules. And yet I'm still sitting here wondering, why are the Marlins players who allegedly, and I guess now have been ruled to have gone out in Atlanta during a global pandemic, why are they not being punished for really endangering the entire season? They're not even getting fined? I don't understand. And maybe it's the optics. They're afraid to find a guy who's sick. I don't know. But can some teams even theoretically play a 60-game season now, given the, unless they push the playoffs back like a month or something, some some ridiculous amount, are they going to be able to get teams to play 60 games? I don't think so. This is what I mean. When it's on the fly, I say they're postponing games, saying we'll play them on a later date. What's the later date? You don't have a plan. Baseball has no idea. I think, honestly, baseball is going to cancel early and say, we're just going to keep things afloat for a little while to get as much revenue as we can before we have to shut down the season. And all I have from baseball are questions. All I have. And it's so discouraging. I mean, I I love the sport of baseball. I, I really do. I grew up playing it. It's a magical, beautiful sport. If you've ever watched the YouTube channel John Boy, I say this all the time. John Boy Media is the best baseball YouTuber because what he does Jimmy O'Brien he captures the best moments of baseball the ba- baseball is a sequence of moments over the course of a really long amount of time and baseball has such incredible special moments whether it's making fun of a fan or it's some guy does a stupid thing and misses a tag or whatever it is and for me I like the anticipation I like you know I love a psychological thriller it's a great type of movie or a great type of book and baseball has that aspect where Bottom of the ninth, you know, two outs, runner on second base. Every pitch is terrifying because that could be the pitch that ends the game or is the, you know, the walk-off hit that wins the game for the other team. It matters. When baseball matters, it's special. And I'm the kind of person, when a home run is hit, celebrate, man. I, the genius of the NFL, the NFL realized, hey, if we let our players do touchdown celebrations, it only helps us. You have guys doing the toboggan. They, you have guys where they pretend to roll a bowling ball or maybe they roll a football and players are lined up like bowling pins and all the players fall over when they score a touchdown. It's choreographed, it's ridiculous, and it's fun. And baseball doesn't seem to understand. They're so stuffy and stuck being a sport and this, the rules and there's ways you do things. They forget about fun. And, and, and they also are, are very, very... Um, what's the word here? When, when there, there's a double standard all the time, all the time. That pitcher who got suspended, and look, he deserved a suspension. He threw at a guy. You can't throw at someone's head. People were so mad at me on YouTube. They're like, how can you say Joe Kelly's a hero when he threw at a guy's head? I'm not saying, I, I literally even said in the video, I said, there's a dark part of me that likes this, and I'm not totally comfortable with it. But the reason why I said Joe Kelly's a hero is because he punished the Astros in the way that the league was unwilling to do. The Astros players cheated and got away with it and never were punished. And it's like, <laughs> they, all, they did, all the Astros did was benefit. If you're, an, a team, if you're a player presented with an opportunity to cheat again like the Astros did, you're going to say yes because 
while the organization hiring you might get fined and might have people fired, you, the player, are not going to be punished at all. I'm going on a rant here. Um, baseball's so discouraging. And there, it's a sport that's so great and I think has so many things right. And, and the league with their – there is a fly here. I'm not crazy. God, fruit fly. No, it got away. I'm insane. Um, it really, there really is a fly. It really is here, and I'm, I'm not crazy. Um, baseball gets in its own way all the time, and it takes a sport that has so much potential and really is so great at its spirit and just really nerfs it all the time and makes it so frustrating to follow. And I honestly blame Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, he blames players for not you know, handling things better during a global pandemic, for, for not handling their business and staying out of the public eye. And you know, basically, Rob Manfred sends a very passive-aggressive message to MLB players. Don't go out. Don't do this. Don't do that. Why are you not more direct? And I'll be honest, if Rob Manfred's going to blame the players for their actions, shouldn't it also be a little bit on him? Isn't he shirking his responsibilities just a little bit? Because Rob Manfred is at the top. He is the guy. The buck stops with him. And isn't it Rob Manfred's job, the commissioner of baseball, isn't it his job to set the tone, to make expectations very crystal clear? And if you violate the expectations, you get punished. Again, why are the Marlins not getting punished? What, what is that? And I, I Did Rob Manfred not set the tone properly? I guess that's my question. A player's got to change their behavior. If you're a Major League Baseball player, dude, you can't live your life the way you've lived your entire life because— um, unless you were somehow alive in 1912, which you weren't. Nobody playing Major League Baseball today has ever lived through a global pandemic. Your life needs to change. Your behavior needs to change. You can't live normally and not expect to get a positive test for coronavirus. Now, people can argue all they want about whether it's fake or not or does it really kill you. Who cares? That's not the point. The point is if you test positive, your season is gravely in jeopardy. I don't care whether you're you really believe in the stupid thing or not. The point is you can't, you can't afford to test positive. And the only way to be very sure you're not going to test positive is to change your behavior and not put yourself at risk. And, and then my question is, were players told to self-quarantine? How clear was Major League Baseball with the expectations that players needed to do X, Y, Z? I don't know. And then I just have so many more questions about Major League Baseball. Like, you know, I guess really my point is that I guess as I sit around and think about this garbage pile of a season for Major League Baseball, that's just been a, a nightmare. I wonder if Major League Baseball has this many problems and they're not in a bubble, how in the heck is the NFL going to work? I, I legitimately don't know. And, and why doesn't the NFL have a bubble? Why doesn't baseball have a bubble? And if you think about the NFL perspective, couldn't couldn't the NFL have... Every team stay in a local hotel and self-quarantine there. I mean, so the Ravens have a hotel in Baltimore where they that's their home hotel, and the players hang out there. They use the pool. They use the grounds, and they go to the facility. That's it, right? It's very, very—you go to the facility, and you go to the hotel, and that's it. And then the Seahawks, couldn't they have a hotel in Seattle do the same thing? They go from the hotel— to the facility, and that's it. The only two places the Seahawks can go are those two places. Or the Rams have a hotel in L.A. They do the same thing. I, I know for Major League Baseball, or what am I saying, for, for 
the NFL. For the NFL, you cannot put all 32 teams in one location. There are just there are too many human beings, right? A basketball team can get away with it. 22 NBA teams in Orlando because an NBA team is way smaller of amount of people, a way smaller amount of people. The coaching staffs, the players, the people involved in an NFL team are countless, and you you can't put. There's just not a facility probably on the planet big enough to put everybody in the NFL and host a season. It's just not feasible. But is there no way for an NFL bubble at all? There's no way to have maybe, you know, 32 independent bubbles where the only time you travel is when you're going to play a team in an away game. And then college football is a mess. And, you know, I, I have friends in college football that are banding together and creating all kinds of stuff that I can't even talk about because it's, it would ruin their plans against their their overlord uh, conferences that are really, ah, it's such a mess. It's such a mess. And I'm rambling here. I guess the only sports I have faith in right now are the NBA and the NHL. And I'm just sharing my heart now at this point. This started with baseball. Now it's just me being sad about coronavirus. The only sports I have faith in are sports in a bubble. Because basketball is working. And basketball is working very, very well. And if you're not in a bubble and your plan is to not have a season with some kind of bubble... I just don't know how you're going to make it. I, I, I have no idea how it's feasible that you can take a bunch of risks and not have players in a bubble and expect them to not somehow get sick because it takes one person to slip up. Even if you're maybe the players totally self-quarantine themselves and totally isolate themselves, but your kids are going to school or your wife is hanging out with a girlfriend or at some point a kid's going to be in contact with something, right? There's just too many variables unless you have players in a true bubble. And I, just, I don't know, man, that's, that's my long reaction to COVID in Major League Baseball. It's so disappointing. It's sad. It's frustrating. It's hard to watch. And uh, a lot of the blame should go on Rob Manfred. And it's weird that he's blaming the players. I just, I think it's wrong. And I think that's very disingenuine. And I don't like it one bit. I need some juice. I just, oh my gosh. I did not mean to, how long was that rant? Like 20, 30, 55 minutes? I have no idea. Um, Frustrating though, man. Just, It grinds my gears. Don't like it. So a story came out. A story came out, Chicago Bears quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. And I'm not calling him Mitchell. I'm calling him Mitch intentionally. Came out and said that the number one Bears quarterback job is his to lose. That's what Mitchell Trubisky said. He said, it's my job to lose against Nick Foles, the new quarterback who was brought in from Jacksonville. Uh, remember, Nick Foles, the former Super Bowl winning quarterback, whereas Mitchell Trubisky hasn't, what has he done? I don't know. And Trubisky's talking about, in, in some interview, where he says that he's tweaking his mechanics, and he's tweaked his mechanics, and he said it's the first time he's tweaked his mechanics. And, you know, congratulations, Mitchell Trubisky. He says he's throwing the ball better. And look, I don't want to be just a mean hater. I, it's not my spirit. It's not my heart here. Um, and, and I'm glad that Mitch Trubisky's working hard and trying to get better. That's awesome. But I'll be honest, I did read the story, and Mitchell Trubisky's talking about how he's tweaking his mechanics to throw the ball better. And I couldn't help but think to myself, well, Mitch, that was really never your issue. (laughs) Your issue has not been throwing the ball. Your issue, I mean, sure, it has been. You could have definitely been more accurate. But it's more than that. It is so much more than your mechanics that are wrong with Mitchell Trubisky, right? It's decision-making. That is my main concern for the Bears quarterback. His ability to read defenses, literally. His ability to pull the trigger when a, you know, on a tight throw downfield. Why? There, there are plays where Mitchell Trubisky has a guy 
downfield who is open by NFL standards, and he doesn't rip it and rip it. He doesn't throw the ball. And the greatest importance to me is Mitchell Trubisky's decision-making. I don't hate Mitchell Trubisky. Um, He has been infuriating to watch. But if Mitch succeeds, I'll be happy for him. I really will. I, I don't root against anybody. And he seems like a good dude. I, I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is a bad human being, right? That's not at all what I want to say here. But it has seemed like for a long time, Trubisky has been focusing on, you know, the wrong things. And it's not been focusing on his main problem, which would in fact be decision-making. And I, I wish Trubisky, and maybe he, maybe I missed something. I, I want to hear an interview where Trubisky comes out and says, I'm working on decision-making. I'm working on reading NFL defenses and pre-snap reads. And, you know, I, I really hope he's got a good quarterback coach who is helping him develop that part of his game this offseason because if he doesn't develop his decision-making and his pre-snap reads and his ability to make choices and read defenses, if he doesn't develop that part of his game, then Mitchell Trubisky is, in fact, very certainly going to lose the Chicago Bears starting quarterback job. It's just I have no doubt that's what's going to happen if he doesn't make a change. And personally, I honestly already think, I, I already believe Trubisky lost the job because why would the Bears bring in Nick Foles unless they had very, very little faith in Trubisky? And the minute Trubisky screws up, eh, it's over. And you know he's going to screw up because every quarterback screws up at some point. And I will never, ever forget when week two, Seattle Seahawks, Monday Night Football, <sighs> Trubisky had a guy wide open in the end zone against the Seahawks. And just didn't see him. He just didn't. He literally, like, did not see a guy wide open in the end zone. And I'm, like, sitting there going, bro, you're an NFL quarterback. You can't not. You can't miss that, Reed. You can't, you can't miss that. That can't, that can't happen to you. You missed out on an easy touchdown because you didn't see a guy standing wide open in the end zone? Or there was another moment. I, be, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I believe. I, I could be very wrong. I, I did a film analysis at some point. I, I think the jersey was was maroon, so I, I think it's the red the the team in Washington. I, I think it's that team, you know, the team in the NFC East that used to have a, a name that got is now no longer. I believe he had a, I, I believe it's that team. My point is, I remember vividly. There's a moment where Trubisky had a guy, and there's not one. There, there's many examples of this, but the one in, against the maroon uniforms is what sticks out in my head, where he's got a guy running vertically, and his receiver beats the man by a step. And by an NFL standard, if your guy beats a man by a step vertically downfield, down the sideline, that's open. You got to throw the ball. And Trubisky doesn't throw it. And you're like, oh, what? Dude, what are you looking at? He checked it down. I'm like, you took a three-yard gain and you had a guy on first down, wide open downfield? Not wide open, but open by NFL standards for sure. You got to throw the ball. And so I want to be very clear about something. Just to set the tone for... Trubisky's season and where I stand because I saw this story and I went, oh, I don't, I don't feel good about this at all. And so to be very, very clear, I don't hate Trubisky. I wish him nothing but the best. But I have next to no faith in Mitchell Trubisky as an NFL quarterback. I do not think he's going to succeed. I don't believe in him. But man, if Trubisky proves me wrong, I'll be very, very happy. I'd love to see Trubisky succeed. I, I, I root for every quarterback. I and mean, there's not really a quarterback in the NFL I go, I want that guy to fail. But Trubisky is the one dude, and I've talked about him a lot on this podcast. He is the guy that has been the most infuriating and frustrating to watch on film because of his lack of polish 
and this lack of good decision-making. And the fact that we're still hearing Trubisky talk about things that really aren't his problem. I want Trubisky to come out in an interview and say, I'm working on reading NFL defenses better. And until I hear that, I'm going to go, are you working on the right stuff? Because for a long time, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and Trubisky still has not worked on the right stuff. Okay, Joe Burrow came out. Joe Burrow came out and said he is planning to live entirely off of his endorsements. And he's going to save, and he's going to invest any and all contract money he makes playing football uh, on his current contract with the Cincinnati Bengals. He is currently set to make $36 million guaranteed. $36 million guaranteed on his rookie contract. I love hearing that. I love hearing about a guy who is going to be wise in his way with managing money. Awesome. Just awesome. Um, And really the story made me think of Rob Gronkowski. If you remember, if you've ever heard before, Rob Gronkowski did the same thing. Rob Gronkowski says he has not spent a money, uh, a dime of his NFL money he made through his contracts. Rob Gronkowski says he lives entirely off of endorsements, and it's 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 possible if you can now, it is so great if you can live that way. Uh, not everybody can. Not everybody is as popular as the number one overall pick in the NFL draft and as popular as QB1, right? A right guard who even is a starter, honestly, unless he's got an incredible personality, is not going to get a lot of endorsements. So not all athletes are capable of living off of just money from endorsements. They don't get enough money from endorsements, if any. But man, if you can do it, Joe Burrow is doing that's incredible, um, and if you can do it, great. It's very, very wise. If you can live off just your endorsements and save your money and invest it and just let it accrue wealth and you can live off it forever, it's your retirement plan, that's really great. Um, and so for me, I read that story about Joe Burrow, and I hope I've said Joe Burrow. I did a topic about Mitchell Trubisky a minute ago, and Mitchell Trubisky is the, the name still on my tongue, but uh, I, I read that story about Joe Burrow, and I went, ah, Joe Burrow, man, that's awesome. It's just I, the news is awful right now. And it was so nice to read a positive story. So great job. Well done, Joe Burrow. Love hearing that. And uh, if, in fact, I said Joe Burrow's name, if I said Mitchell Trubisky's name when I met Joe Burrow, what I'm going to do is go back and superimpose myself saying Joe Burrow and just put in the the audio. And guess what? You're going to hear my lips are going to say one thing, and you're going to hear my voice say a different thing. So that's what I'm going to do. That's my fix to that solution right there. Okay. The last topic of the day, the topic that I am so excited about. It's one I've been looking forward to for so long. So, oh boy. Fans of the Steelers edge rusher TJ Watt are very, very angry at me. Uh, And I was talking about the NFL Top 100 list. And I said I thought it was silly that TJ Watt was ahead of Jamal Adams on the list. And people got very, very, very mad at me. And I know there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, Honestly, I am not entirely sure what I said that was that awful. I don't know. Um, You can go watch the video. It's called Reacting to the NFL Top 100 List. Um, And I don't think it matters what I said, though. I I, I really don't. I think what matters is what I do next. I made a lot of people angry. um, And I think it's very clear from my stuff that, you know, I... I think no matter what, it's pretty clear that I was very, not very informed about T.J. Watt. I just, I don't know a lot about T.J. Watt. Um, I was talking off the cuff about a silly list. And the reality is that, you know, I got so much, oh, 
so much hate. And, you know, I, I can't even say it wasn't justified because I usually do a ton of research before I talk about people. And this was not a scenario where that happens. Now, the point of what I was saying was about Jamal Adams. I was saying that Jamal Adams was ranked too low on the list. I used TJ Watt as an example. I threw out a name. I was looking at lists. I was like, ah, here's a name that I think is maybe, you know, should be lower than Jamal Adams. And I picked a random name and, oh boy, I guess I picked wrong because people were very mad. But, um, you know, as I was talking out of off the cuff, I did realize, okay, well, I'm not very educated on TJ Watt, honestly. And so I have an announcement to make, uh, an announcement I, I think will be celebrated, hopefully. I am going to do a film analysis of TJ Watt. I'm going to do a bunch of research. Um, I guess he was a first-team All-Pro. I honestly don't pay very much attention to those awards. Uh, All-Pro is voted by media members. Um, the Pro Bowl is kind of silly, too. Like At one point, Mitchell Trubisky was, in a, was a Pro Bowler. So like the awards like that, I don't care about very much. MVP is interesting because it's a big talking point. Um, and everyone has their own. There's no definition for MVP, so even that's kind of stupid. But I will say, um, I follow the NFL like no one else. I mean, it's my it's my full time job to follow sports, and I I'm a really really passionate fan of the NFL. It's my favorite sport. It's my favorite thing in the world. And yet somehow I I am very embarrassed to admit, and I hate admitting this, but it is true. I have to own it. I did a self you know analyzation. I guess is the word. And I realized, look, I, I know very little about T.J. Watt. And it's embarrassing to say that. I hate that I can say that, but it's true. And I got so much hate for it. Um, and again, the point I was trying to make was that Jamal Adams is too low. And really, my point had nothing to do with T.J. Watt. But you can be angry at me all you want. I got no problem with that. I didn't think the hostility was a little bit uh, uncalled for. But I did not mean any dis- disrespect to Mr. T.J. Watt. I, I got no problem with that. I, you know, and hey, I, I want to give him a fair shake because you look at TJ Watt's numbers, and he certainly has very, very impressive statistics. And I'm—I don't think stats are everything, but you look at the guy had four and a half sacks, he had two interceptions, he had eight forced fumbles last year. TJ Watt by himself created ten turnovers. That is ridiculous. And so I guess apparently, not only is he legit, apparently he was actually in the conversation for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. I have no idea. Uh, somehow I didn't know that. And so I cannot take back what I said. For those of you who are super mad at me, I, I can't take back what I said. But what I can do is watch the film and see what the film says and make a video about it. And that should be fun because I, I have never covered an edge rusher before. I've never made a video about a defensive end or anybody of that kind of nature. I've never talked about a pass rusher before. I've really only talked about quarterbacks. I've talked about receivers a little bit. And that's it. I do think people overreacted just a little bit. Uh, but it's okay. I'll, I'll have fun with it. I, I really... Um, I am so used to getting hate on the internet at this point that I'm like, it's, that's what happens to me. Uh, but I do, like, I've made mistakes, and I think this was a mistake where I, I talked about a player that I was ill-informed about. And I, I try really hard to do good, high-quality content. I'm very passionate about making a good product that is worth watching and important, and I, I, I'm, I think, hopefully known for doing my research. And this was a situation where I didn't do my research, and it was pretty obvious, and I got a lot of hate, and I don't, I don't mind the hate. Again, I, I can take it. Um, but I will say, man, I'm so excited to learn more about TJ Watt. And again, I, it should be a good time. I, I have no idea. I, I still go back to, like, apparently he was a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. Had no idea. Had no idea he was accountable for 10 turnovers last year. That's, that's like, most teams don't get, it's just, that's, that's insane, right? That's just so cool. And so I, um, as I go into this process, I, I hope it's clear I'm, I'm, I have a lot of humility 
and I'm wrong about stuff. I get stuff wrong all the time. And I'm just really excited and going to have a good time getting to watch film on TJ Watt and hopefully making a video. And I hope you guys love it. And if you like it and you are the person who hated me and said, I'm unsubscribing, you're an idiot, you're clearly ill-informed. Well, I hope you have some compassion for me and realize that I'm a human being who makes mistakes. And that, you know, I hope I'm giving you a video that you like. And if you really do like what I have to say about TJ Watt, I, even if you don't, I hope you can respect that no matter what I find on film because I go in with a completely open mind. And if it's bad, it's bad. And if it's good, it's good. I don't know how it could possibly be bad because his statistics are incredible, right? I, I don't know how I could find on film something negative about TJ Watt and be like, he's bad because pretty clearly uh, 10 forced turnovers, he's not very bad. I'm rambling now, but my point is I hope you like the video that I'm about to make. It's going to come out sometime, probably the end of the week or maybe next week. Um, but I hope you give me a fair shot. I hope uh, you're not too harsh on me uh, for you know making a mistake. So uh, I own it, and I have no problem owning my mistakes. I'm a human being, and that's what, you know, when you talk about how many videos, I make like 60 videos a week, some ridiculous number like that. I made 10 on Saturday. Um, when you make that many topics, you, even so, you, you're bound to say something dumb. And even a guy like me who covers sports for a living, I can't cover everything. I can't know everything in the world. And I work alone. I don't have a fact checker. I am the fact checker. I am the researcher. I am the writer. I am the editor. I am the audio engineer. I am everything on the show. I do everything for the show. And so um, I hope you can have a little bit of grace for me. I got I got a little bit of hate that I thought was uncalled for. And um, man, yeah, I hope we can have a fun you know, conversation in the future. And I hope that the video I'm about to make about TJ Watt does him justice it's going to be really fun to do research, and uh, that's all I have. We'll do we'll do research on TJ Watt. It'll be great. Uh, also, I want to apologize to Patreon members. Um, I, I just want to say, look, I appreciate you on Patreon so greatly. You pay my rent. You make it possible for me to do the show. Um, and I know I haven't done an Ask Zach segment in a few episodes, and I, I, I feel guilty about that. I feel bad. Um, and I'm going to do it on Monday's episode. I was going to do it on this episode and then I stayed up all night and I haven't slept. And I'm telling you right now, uh, I haven't slept in over 24 hours. I am out of gas. I'm dead. I, I will make it up to you tomorrow when I record tomorrow night. But right now I need to edit this and go immediately to bed and then try to watch formula one and talk about the race because I, I, I it's, it's super late in the day now and I, the race is at 6am and I haven't even watched that yet. So I'm, I'm getting behind and I'm doing the best I can. And so if you're on Patreon again, Thank you so much for your support. It means a lot to me. You, you matter to me. Uh, I'm going to give you a really long Ask Zach segment. I answer as many questions as I can. The episode will be hopefully longer than two hours, just way too long, and that's the nature of the beast. And so uh, if you're out there and you're on Patreon, I hope you're not mad at me. Doing the best I can. And uh, thank you so, I can't say enough, thank you so very much for your support. It means the world to me. And the show would not be possible. Literally, the lights, the background, the camera, it wouldn't have a place to exist without you because you help pay my rent. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. That's all I have. I love you so much. I'm going to edit and go the heck to bed because I'm so tired. But I'm bum. Bam. We are.